0: Good evening, it's, uh, it's good to be here uh, with you tonight. Uh, my name is Colin Crichton. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Lisbon, but for the last eight years, uh, my wife and myself have been based in England. Uh, I used to be a maths teacher up in Preston, uh, but this last year I've started at Oak Hill Bible College. Uh, and I'm over here for uh, six weeks doing some placements. In various churches. So it's great to be with you uh, tonight, and uh, we're going to have our reading. So if you've got a Bible, it would be great to turn to Matthew 18. Tonight we're going to be thinking about the parable of uh, the unmerciful servant, Um, but let's read from chapter 18 and verse 15. We'll read from verse 15. If your brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered him, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that him and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In his anger, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back All he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I'm going to ask Colin before he goes, uh, because I think probably most people are thinking, how did you move from maths to Oak Hill? So can you tell us just in a a sentence or so? I can, yes, it would be a joy to. And it was fantastic to uh, teach children about Jesus. uh, Sorry about maths. Uh, but it was, it's even better to teach them uh, about Jesus so uh, we did a year doing youth work uh, at our local church and um, from there uh, we had some chats with some people who recommended that uh, we go and train full time at Oak Hill so that's what's brought us to uh, Bible College so far thanks Caroline and the way, the way is. At Tanya myself So Tanya I'm married to Tanya's over there um, we've been in England now for uh, quite a while That's lovely. Thank Thanks you you Let me pray for us as we uh, come to God's word Father we know that uh, your word equips us for every good work and we pray now that as we uh, come to read uh, your word that you will be equipping us for a life of service, Amen. Is it, uh, is it possible, is it possible, to be a Christian and yet refuse to forgive someone? Churches can be uh, funny places, can they? Sometimes they are the most encouraging place to be, as Christian brothers and sisters serve Christ together. It can almost be like, was well, like a little glimpse uh, of heaven. But sometimes, well, sometimes they can be a tough place to be. I think it's fair to say I've been involved in a reasonably broad selection of churches in my time. But one thing that's common to them all is that they're made up of sinful fallen people. Sinful fallen people like me. And so it's no surprise that things start to get messy. People sin against each other. They wrong each other. Things fall apart and the church becomes, well, it becomes a tough place to be. I want you to imagine Frank and Mary. Frank and Mary belong to the same church. They've been serving in this church for years. Frank wants to uh, expand the youth work on the Saturday night, which means Mary will have to come at a different time to set up the flowers for Sunday morning. Mary's not happy. She complains to the pastor, but the pastor remains convinced the youth work should go ahead on the Saturday night. Mary resents Frank for affecting her ministry. She gossips about him, tears down his character, publicly raises questions over his integrity. You see, sin can work its way into the life of the church in all sorts of ways. It can be over youth groups or flowers or a million and one other things. So the question that needs answered is how is a church to guard itself against this and the million and one other ways that sin can attack? The million and other ways that Christians sin against each other. How should the church help Frank and Mary? Well, chapter 18 is a great chapter as Jesus tells the disciples how to react as sin makes its attack. Uh, The previous passage, if you've got your Bibles there, um, turn to Matthew 18 again. Matthew 18. And verses 15 to 20 tell us what action needs to be taken with Mary. So Mary has committed the sin. She must be called to repentance. And the passage says it's not optional. Sin must not be allowed to go unchallenged within the family of God and where there is refusal to come to repentance, Jesus says these words in verse 17. If he, that's the person who has sinned, refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. If someone within the church refuses to come to repentance, Jesus is clear, treat them like a pagan. Treat them like an unbeliever, for if there is no repentance, there is no true belief. So Mary's been challenged. She's come to repentance, admitting she shouldn't have spread the lie. She's apologised to Frank, and the church breathes a huge sigh of relief. Yet this problem is far from over. You see, sin tries to trap everyone involved. There's a danger that the one who committed the sin will be destroyed by an unrepenting heart. But there's another danger. That the one who was sinned against will be destroyed by an unforgiving heart. And it is to this that Jesus now turns his attention. Peter comes, he thinks he's understood Jesus' teaching in the previous passage. He's convinced that people should be called to repentance. And now he asks the question in verse 21. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter knows it's hard to forgive people. But even in his question, you can see he's, he's trying his best to please Jesus. You see, the, the Jews at the time, they would have said three times. Forgive people three times. Now, Peter, he raises the bar. He says, seven times, Jesus? What do you think is seven? Well, if Peter's raised the bar, Jesus blows the bar into orbit. He says, not seven times, Peter, but seventy-seven. There is no limit. Jesus then tells this parable to explain it further. Um, I'm sure you're Familiar with this parable, he describes the relationship between the king and his servant. How the king shows great mercy in cancelling the huge debt of the servant. Then the servant goes and refuses to show mercy to the slave who owes him a small amount. Then the king hears of this. He has the first servant thrown in prison to pay for the debts. And just listen to the final words of the king. Verse 32. Then the master called in the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? The king's position is clear, and Jesus' position is clear. If you remember nothing else from tonight, please remember this. Forgiven people, Forgive. Forgiven people forgive. That's just what they do. Think back to the story of Frank and Mary. It's not optional for Mary to repent. She's got to. If she's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, she's got to repent. But there is just as strong a responsibility on Frank. It is not optional for Frank to forgive. When sinned again, Frank must forgive if he has been forgiven. By the Lord Jesus Christ. How easy it is to let these things pass by. I don't uh, know most of you. I don't know this church particularly well. Um, But when was the last time uh, you had a fallout with someone in the church? uh, Where there was uh, sin and a break of relationships. Maybe you were in the wrong. Maybe the other person was the wrong. Maybe you both were in the wrong. The chapter 18 of Matthew asks two questions. It says, was there repentance? And was there forgiveness? These things are not easy. Uh, We can see that even by Peter's question. We want there to be a limit on how many times we can be wrong. We want there to be a point where we can say, no more second chances. Yet Jesus... Will not have it. He calls us to be a forgiving people. Which brings us on to uh, why Christ expects this. You see, forgiven people have good reason to forgive. Forgiven people have good reason to forgive. We're going to look at three reasons. Uh, Firstly, because of the great debt of human sin, the great debt of human sin. I wonder if you noticed in the story how much the debt uh, the first servant was in. Uh, Verse 24 tells us. uh, Verse 24. uh, As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents, if, uh, if I convert that into today's sterling, give or take with the recession, we're talking about a billion pounds. Okay? Not the sort of debt that you pay off. This was a huge debt. Um, and that's exactly the case for our sin. That is the picture that Jesus is getting across. I wonder um, what you think about when you think about sin. I had a friend who uh, used to work in the offices of uh, the admin people for who were investigating the baby P case that made the news, where the baby child was. And tortured and to death by the people who were supposed to be raising it. He wasn't a Christian and as he read and studied the case files about the disgusting abuse that baby child was put through he was just filled with contempt for the people who did it. He said to me one day call this now, I know you're a Christian you're probably not going to like this but there is just no way I could forgive those people. I don't care what they do from today onwards. I could never forgive them for what they've done. I said to him, listen, I know what they did was uh, vile and wicked. It was evil in God's sight. I know that they deserve to stand before God on judgment day. I know that to be true. But there is only one reason why Christians can forgive even people like that, and it's because of how much God has forgiven them. For we too deserved to stand before God as His enemy. You know, I actually thought that would work. I thought he'd say, "You know, uh, you're right. I need to ask God for forgiveness too. Only then can I understand how to forgive." It didn't work. He said, "I call him the way ridiculous." Alright, you're a Christian, you've been forgiven. But come on. What was the worst thing you've ever done? Lied? Been rude to a few people? It's hardly in the same league as torturing children, is it? And it was clear. You see, my friend sees his sin and my sin as a debt that pocket money could pay for Not a debt like the people who torture baby P. That's a big debt. And what I had to explain to him and what Jesus explains to us in this parable is that our sin is huge. You must not measure sin first of all by our actions but first of all by our heart. We may not commit any gross sins like torturing children but what is our heart attitude to the God who made us. Sin is rejecting the God who created, who owns, who cares for us. Whether we do that by denying Him or worshipping something else or simply ignoring Him, we've all turned our backs on Him. That is sin. So it's no surprise that those who reject God, reject the way He wants us to live. Some do that by living a very moral, upright, uh, respectable life. But they do not worship God. They worship themselves or their family or their career. And they tell God to get lost. Some do that by living a completely immoral life. Torturing children. But both come from the same heart. Both come from a sinful heart that rejects God's right to be God. So Jesus tells us in Mark seven, any evil action I commit, any evil action, is just a symptom of the sinfulness of my heart. No, our debt is massive because we all have a heart that is told the loving Creator God to get lost. That He has no business in our lives. That is not a debt that pocket money will pay. God is angry, and rightfully so. And the great debt of human sin gives us the second reason. The second reason why forgiven people forgive. And that is the great mercy of God. It's only when we realise how lost and helpless and sinful we were, that we will appreciate how amazing God's mercy is. Even though we would rejected him, while we were still his enemies, God the Son came and died on a cross to pay the price for our sin in order that people like you and me could be reconciled to God. I wonder if you noticed in the story what the king did with the debt. What he did with the debt. Well, he just counselled it. He counselled it. If I lend you a tenner and you can't pay it back, cost me a tenner. The king himself had to absorb that massive debt. It was the king who ended up paying for it. Sin and forgiveness comes with a price. It is a costly price, and so it is a precious price. The blood that Christ shed for us was costly. And so, friends, it is precious. Thirdly, because of our great debt, because of God's great mercy, God expects us to be people of mercy. Just have a look at verse uh, 33 with me. Verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? We are called to be like our Father in heaven. He is a God of mercy and so we are to be a people of mercy. As you hear the story told, there is something uh, amazing about the king who has mercy on the servant. But then there is something so grotesque and sickening about the servant who refuses that mercy to the other slave. We asked the question at the start of the night, Is it possible to be a Christian and yet refuse to forgive someone? Well, Jesus' answer is pretty clear, isn't it? People who do not forgive will not be forgiven. Just look at the servant in the story in verse 28. Verse 28 says, When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. He had over a million pound debt cancelled. And he finds one of his servants who owes him a hundred denarii. You're talking about a couple of thousand pounds. You know, you'd notice it, it's worth mentioning. But it's not a drop in the ocean compared to a million pound debt. Yet he refuses to remember the debt he was in. He refuses to remember The great mercy that was shown him, and he refuses to show the mercy he had received from the king. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In his anger, in anger, His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And then come those sobering words from Jesus. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I think we need to take three things on board from what Jesus teaches here. Firstly, we need to be careful about demanding our rights. We need to be careful about demanding our rights. What you must remember is that the servant had the right to demand the hundred denarii back. It It was his right. It was justice. But when we demand justice to be done to someone else, we must be ready to receive that measure of justice ourselves. When someone sins against you and it is painful and it hurts and the other person may not deserve any love or kindness from you and we hear Christians saying we should forgive but we just think to ourselves they just don't deserve it. They have hurt me too much. Well, we need to let the alarm bells ring for if God judged us by that standard we would be condemned to hell. Let us be very careful about standing on our rights and demanding what is just. Secondly, unforgiveness is as dangerous as unrepentance. Unforgiveness is as dangerous As on repentance. When we think back to Frank and Mary. I I think it's pretty obvious to see that Mary needs to repent. And it's pretty obvious that if she doesn't. Some serious questions need to be asked. About where she stands with Christ. But the question that Jesus asks in this passage. Is whether we are as serious. About forgiveness. As we are about repentance. We all know that. An unrepentant heart can destroy both a person and an entire church. But we need to see the danger of an unforgiving heart. If you want to destroy yourself as a Christian and destroy relationships within this church, here's an easy to follow, two-step program. I guarantee it will work. It's free. Here it is. First forget how much God has forgiven you. And then second, refuse to forgive each other. Elders, do you want to destroy the leadership of this church? Dead easy. First, refuse, sorry, forget how much God has forgiven you. And second, refuse to forgive each other. Husbands and wives, do you want to destroy your marriage? It's really easy. Forget how much God has forgiven you and then refuse to forgive each other. Church family, do you want to destroy Windsor Baptist? All you have got to do is refuse to forgive each other. Unforgiveness is as dangerous as unrepentance. Thirdly, there is a difference between struggling to forgive and refusing to forgive. For the person who has been wronged and looks at that person who wronged them and flat out says, I refuse to forgive you, I will never forgive you. This passage comes with the strongest, strongest warning that if that attitude continues, they can be assured that on the last day, Christ will say these words, you wicked servant. But we're not to mistake refusing to forgive, with struggling to forgive. There is a world of difference between coldly saying, I will not forgive, and saying with a tear in your eye, I want to forgive, but it is hard, and I am struggling. Forgiveness is not easy. We're not to pretend that it is, or that we aren't hurt by what people do. It does hurt when people wrong us, when people we trust or love reject and betray us. We're not to make light of the pain, or say that it doesn't matter, it's insignificant. We're not to expect it to be easy and we're not to be surprised when we struggle to forgive. Which brings us to our last thought. There is only one place that we can forgive. There is only one place that our struggle to forgive will be successful. Forgiveness comes from the foot of the cross if I am struggling to forgive someone, I do not overcome it by looking at them and trying my hardest to find some redeemable quality within them that will make it bearable to look at them. If I do that, I will feel and I will grow bitter and resentful towards that person. Now listen one last time to the King's words. Verse 33 Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. We must look back to the mercy we have received. We must come to the foot of the cross and gaze at the crucified Saviour, Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God who came to earth and died on a cross bearing the weight of God's wrath unleashed on him. And he did that to take the punishment that our sins deserve. It is only by standing at the foot of the cross that we will see the debt that we owed. It is only by standing at the foot of the cross that we will learn to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.